0: Well good evening, please open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 6, Daniel chapter 6, I appreciate the opportunity to be here, thankful for the opportunity to open God's word. We just read from Philippians chapter two, how we're supposed to shine as lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. And I think that the passage that we're about to look at together tonight was specifically written to prepare God's people to do just that. And so it's very fitting that we read that passage. And now think about the message of Daniel six, let's just pray together. And then we'll get started looking at this. Father, I'm so thankful for your word. I'm thankful that it is living and powerful that the same God who commands both light and life has spoken to us on these pages, and it can impact us tonight and prepare us to become more like your son and to live bold lives that represent you well. We just pray tonight as we look at your word together that you would uh, bless your word, that it would have the impact that it was designed to have and that your son would be glorified we ask for this help in his name amen so thinking about this difficult world that we live in a world that probably most of us would agree is becoming more difficult all the time you know what would you do in the following situations imagine you're at work or you've been employed to do a certain task And you have to talk to the client who's paid you to do something and you know that you cut corners. You did something unethical. Uh, Some service that was promised wasn't actually provided. Some materials that were supposed to be used were not actually used. And your boss tells you but if you tell the truth, and you tell the client what's been done, you're going to be fired, we're going to release you. Or, what if you're in the workplace or maybe even in school and there's a sinful lifestyle that you're supposed to celebrate and promote? And let's say it's in the workplace and your boss comes to you and says, if you don't promote this lifestyle that's contrary to God's word, you can kiss that promotion goodbye. You're no longer going to have the same standing in this company. Sometimes the pressures come even from our own family. You know, what if you're convinced that you're supposed to do certain things and raising your family to the glory of God, that you have maybe extended family members who say, if you go down that road, we're going to continue to cause problems for you, maybe even come to the extreme of disowning you. What if it's as simple as tomorrow, you go out to check your mail, and you see your neighbor in the yard next to you, and you know you need to walk over there Invite them to Christianity Explored, or to share the gospel with them. But you know as soon as you have that conversation that it's going to create tension, that there's going to be anger. I mean, what would you do in that situation? And Daniel, in this passage that we're going to look at, is faced with something similar. He knows that the true and living God has given him something that he's supposed to do, something he genuinely wants to do but he also has authority figures in his life, people that have genuine power and influence over him that are telling him to do the opposite. And he's stuck in this dilemma, except for him, the consequence if he disobeys these authority figures is gonna be his own execution. Now, as soon as I say we're opening to Daniel six, or maybe as soon as you look down at the page to see what the story was, you immediately think, okay, Daniel and the lion's den, I I know this story, right? There's nothing new here that I can learn. I already know how it ends. I already know all the details. But I just challenge you tonight to pay close attention to what God's word has to say because it was written for people like us. It was written for God's people who are living in the midst of a world that persecutes them, need to remain faithful to the true and loving God because he is able to rescue his servants I think that's the main point of this passage is that God can rescue his servants and so the implication of that is then that we should trust him since he can rescue us we should trust him so let's look then at the setting of this story just to begin with let's look at verses 1 through 3 of chapter 6 First of all, I want you to notice that this was a very good time if you were an Israelite and it was also a good time for Daniel. It says, It seemed good to Darius to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom, that they would be in charge of the whole kingdom, and over them three commissioners, of whom Daniel was one, that these satraps might be accountable to them, and that the king might not suffer loss. So right off the bat, we see there that the Jewish people are now living under the Persian rule. And this Darius, he's either one of two people, probably. Darius is kind of like the word Pharaoh. It's just kind of like a title. It could have been applied to lots of different people in the Persian Empire. So it could be a reference to Cyrus. It could just be another way of referring to Cyrus, the king over the whole empire. Or Darius could have been the man who Cyrus put over Babylon. Remember, the Persians came in, and they captured Babylon, and Darius could be just the the vice-regent or the king underneath uh, Cyrus. But in either case, whether we're talking about Cyrus organizing his whole empire or we're talking about just one of his governors organizing Babylon, we know something about Cyrus from the Bible, don't we? At the very end of 2 Chronicles or at the very beginning of the book of Ezra, it says that Cyrus was the king who was used by God to let the jewish people go back to israel so this is a good time to be an israelite the king cyrus is favorable towards you it's also a very good time to be daniel because it says there in verse three then this daniel began distinguishing himself among the commissioners and satraps because he possessed an extraordinary spirit and the king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom so this huge region that they're trying to rule, they divide it up into 120 different departments. And over each department, there's a a ruler, 120 of them. And then over those 120, there's three men that are in charge of administrating them. And then one of those three, who is Daniel, he so distinguishes himself that he's going to be raised over the other 122. He's basically going to be second in command underneath this ruler whether it's Cyrus or whether it's his governor things are going very well for the Jewish people things are going very well for Daniel and I think there's a lesson there for us because I think sometimes it's when things are going very well that we have the most difficulty in being faithful to God we tend to forget him because we lie to ourselves, we deceive ourselves into thinking or feeling that we don't really need him. You know. After all, if things are going well in our life, sometimes we say, well, then do I really need God? But the truth is that we always need God, right? We always need him, and he is willing and able to bring circumstances into our life in order to remind us of how much we do need him. So things are going well, but it's now something as simple and as common as envy in the workplace that's going to cause trouble for Daniel. Remember, there's 122 men who've just had him put over all of them. And they have envy. And so they come up with a plan to get rid of him. So if we pick up the story, then in verse four, it says, then the commissioners and satraps begin trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel, in regard to government affairs. But they could find no ground of accusation or evidence of corruption, inasmuch as he was faithful, and no negligence or corruption was to be found in him. Then these men said, We will not find any ground of accusation against this Daniel unless we find it against him with regard to the law of his God. Then these commissioners and satraps came by agreement to the king and spoke to him as follows, King Darius, live forever. All the commissioners of the kingdom, the prefects, the satraps, the high officials, and the governors have consulted together that the king should establish a statute and enforce an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man besides you, O king, for 30 days shall be cast into the lion's den. Basically, they're probably saying you either have to pray to God, a god, or you have to pray to the king as the priest. He's basically putting himself into the position as the one mediator between them and God. No other priest, no other mediator. If you do, it's going to be the lion's den. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it may not be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians which may not be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document. That is the injunction. There's four things that I want to point out in this passage tonight. So the first one is that we see in the story that God's servants will face persecution in this world. It's important to think about the fact that God can rescue us because even as Jesus told us ahead of time, all of us who are his disciples, all of us who are his followers, are going to face persecution. These men wanna get rid of Daniel, but the only way they can do it is to pit him against his God to pit something that he's doing for God against something that his earthly king wants him to do. Because Daniel has lived a blameless life. He's been a good worker. He showed up and done everything that he was supposed to. But now he's faced with a dilemma. You know, who is he going to fear? Who is he going to reverence? Who is he going to decide that is more valuable? Is it going to be his God, the king of kings, or is it going to be this earthly king? And all those situations that I laid out at the beginning, or any other similar situation that you could think of in your own mind, when you boil them all down to their basic ingredients, to use the biblical term, it's who are we going to fear? Who who are we gonna reverence? Whose opinion really matters? Does it matter what other people say or what other people will do? Or does it matter what the high king of heaven, the living God, has commanded me? This is the conflict, the situation. That Daniel is now facing but Daniel keeps praying just as he always has in verse 10 it says now when Daniel knew that the document was signed he entered his house now in his roof chamber he had windows open toward Jerusalem and he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day praying and giving thanks before his God as he had been doing previously so he didn't start something new but he wasn't going to abandon a conviction or something that he'd already started. You ever asked yourself why towards Jerusalem? You know why is it important that he prayed toward Jerusalem? I think this is very significant for Daniel and also significant in the whole context of this passage. I think Daniel is looking back towards something that Solomon said when Solomon was dedicating the temple in 1 uh, Kings Solomon prays at the temple's dedication. And this is what Solomon says to God. He says, When they sin against you, that's God, for there is no one who does not sin, and you become angry with them and give them over to their enemies, who take them captive to their own lands, far away or near. So that'd be the Israelites in Babylon, right? And if they have a change of heart in the land where they are held captive and repent, And plead with you in the land of their captors, and say, we have sinned, we have done wrong, we have acted wickedly. And if they turn back to you with all their heart and soul in the land of their enemies who took them captive, and pray to you toward the land you gave their ancestors, toward the city you have chosen, and the temple I have built for your name, then from heaven, your dwelling place, hear their prayer and their plea, and uphold their cause, and forgive your people who have sinned against you. Forgive all the offenses they have committed against you, and cause their captors to show them mercy. So you have to imagine, you know, Daniel's there in Jerusalem. We know from Daniel, in Babylon, we know from Daniel uh, chapter 9 that he's been reading the prophet Jeremiah, which I always just think is this really interesting thing in Scripture when you see someone in Scripture reading other places in Scripture and realizing that it's authoritative. So you've got Daniel the prophet, he's reading Jeremiah. Jeremiah says they're going to be in the land for 70 years. And Daniel knows 70 years is almost up. And he's been praying, regularly praying, just like Solomon said, facing Jerusalem, facing the temple. There's no temple there. The temple's been destroyed by the Babylonians. But Daniel, looking past all the things around him, all of the persecution that he's faced, all the obstacles in his life, Now as approximately an 80 year old man, he believes that someday in that spot in Jerusalem, there will be a temple again, that God will be faithful to his promise and that there will be a kingdom that will last forever. Daniel chapter two, remember the vision that he interpreted for Nebuchadnezzar, a kingdom that will come from heaven on this earth and that will never be destroyed. That's what Daniel has his eyes fixed on. And because he's so fixed on that future kingdom, that future goal, it influences his reaction towards everything else around them. While Daniel had his eyes set on a future kingdom, here in his exile, he's opposed by those who want him dead. You know, there's a sense where we're also in an exile, so to speak, right? Paul calls us strangers and aliens in this world. Peter has the same illustration. Paul also calls us ambassadors, as if we've been sent from a foreign country as representatives here. We also, like the writer of Hebrews, have another country that we're looking forward to, a heavenly country with a city that's built by God. But here, in this exile, so to speak, while we wait for that future kingdom, we will face persecution. So Darius now is faced with this situation. He really likes Daniel. After all, he wanted to put Daniel into that second second in command position over the whole kingdom. So what's he gonna do? it says there in verse 11 then these men came by agreement and found daniel making petition and supplication before his god then they approached and spoke before the king about the king's injunction did you not sign an injunction that any man who makes a petition to any god or man beside you o king for 30 days is to be cast into the lion's den the king replied the statement is true according to the law of the medes and the persians which may not be revoked. So according to their custom, once the king makes this law, it can't be changed. So then they answered and spoke before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the injunction which you sign, but keeps making his petition three times a day. Then as soon as the king heard this statement, he was deeply distressed, and set his mind on delivering daniel and even until sunset he kept exerting himself to rescue him then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king recognize o king that it is a law of the medes and persians that no injunction or statute which the king establishes may be changed i don't know what darius was considering you know what's he going to do he has to put daniel into the lion's den he wants to rescue daniel does he send bodyguards in there with him does he put a suit of armor on daniel does he try to feed the lions secretly you know these are probably the ideas that are floating through darius's mind this man you notice the irony this man who wanted to put himself into the position as the one mediator between god and the rest of mankind is now even helpless completely helpless to save someone who he genuinely likes Which brings us to our second point in this passage is that God's servants cannot put their trust in human authorities. I think we often, I know I do, I think we all are prone to this, we put our confidence in human authorities here on earth. Whether it's parents, whether it's employers, whether it's teachers, whether it's government. And these people are good gifts from God. Uh, Paul tells us in the first epistle to Timothy that we're supposed to pray for our government leaders so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives. If you had talked to Daniel, he probably would have said I'm very thankful to God that Cyrus is such a good king and that he's allowing the Israel Israelite people to go back to Jerusalem and to rebuild the temple. But we can't put our confidence wholly in them. Because all of those people whether it's a family member, whether it's an employer, whether it's a teacher, In the very best of situations, they will all fail you eventually. They will all fail you. And in the worst of situations, they could actually turn on you and become the one who's actually persecuting you. If we put our hope in them, we will in the end always be disappointed, ultimately. So Darius is powerless in this situation to help Daniel, even though he desperately wants to it says there in verse 16 then the king gave orders and Daniel was brought in and cast into the lion's den the king spoke and said to Daniel your God whom you constantly serve will himself deliver you that could also be translated as may your God if you have the ESV or the NIV I think it's probably more likely because he's not a believer in the true God he's a pagan so he's probably saying may he he's wishing that God would do this because after all You know, we've heard this story before, so sometimes we lose the tension, right? But he's being put into a lion's den. There's probably a cave in the ground and it has a hole at the top. And either the hole is so small that you can't see what's going on or maybe because of the angle they couldn't see for sure. But they throw him into this hole, they put a stone over it and they seal him. And he's trapped in there all night long with hungry lions. And this pagan king acknowledges that the only person who's going to be able to rescue his favored servant now is gonna be the true God. It's only gonna be God acting as a miracle that's able to rescue him, and he does. The third point, this last scene, shows us that God can rescue his servants from persecution, even death. So the king, he lays there all night. It says he can't sleep. He can't ask for entertainment. He doesn't want to, you know, if it was written today, he doesn't want to watch his favorite movies. Nothing can be brought to him food-wise that will distract him. He's laying there all night helplessly thinking about his servant. And he arises in the morning and says in verse 19, Then the king arose at dawn at the break of day and went in haste to the lion's den. When he had come near the den to Daniel, he cried out with a troubled voice. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you constantly serve, been able to deliver you from the lions? Now you gotta pause there for a second, right? Because we know what's gonna happen. But, but just feel the tension if you're Darius. He, he doesn't know. I mean, he's calling out. But he, he knows Daniel is constantly, you see that there? He's constantly been a servant of the true God And he's hoping that the true and living God has rescued him from the lions. Then Daniel spoke to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth, and they have not harmed me. Inasmuch as I was found innocent before him, and also toward you, O king, I have committed no crime. Then the king was very pleased and he gave orders for Daniel to be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury whatever was found on him because he had trusted in his God. The king then gave orders and they brought those men who had maliciously accused Daniel and they cast them, their children, their wives into the lion's den and they had not reached the bottom of the den before the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. So Daniel didn't survive because these lions weren't hungry these were ravenous ravenous animals then Darius the king wrote to all the peoples nations and men of every language who are living in all the land may your peace abound and then listen to the words now that God is going to put on the lips of this pagan king he says I make a decree that in all the dominion of my kingdom men are to fear and tremble before the God of Daniel for he is the living God and enduring forever And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed, and his dominion will be forever. He delivers and rescues and performs signs and wonders in heaven on earth, who has also delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. So Darius goes to the den. He finds Daniel alive. He knows that the only reason that this this has happened is because of the true God. Have you ever wondered why Daniel gets to, to go out at this point? You know after all he was put in there to die right this was supposed to be a death sentence so just because he's alive in the morning why is Darius off the hook and it's the answer is probably because they saw this as an ordeal the pagans had a concept of a a trial by ordeal probably the closest that we've ever had in our culture to us was probably some of the things that they did in, in Salem during the witch trials but it's the idea of we'll put you in water or maybe we'll feed you poison And if you're harmed, or if you die, that means the gods judged you guilty. But if somehow you survive being thrown into water or drinking poison or being burned, then that shows that the gods have proclaimed you innocent. That's probably what the Persians looked at this putting into the lion's den as was this trial by ordeal. And but here it was the true God, the true God saying that yes, his servant genuinely was innocent, it wasn't because the lions were overfed. It was because God had acted miraculously. Well, you might be thinking at this point, well, how does this help me, okay? You told me at the beginning of the sermon that the whole point of the sermon was that God will rescue his servants. And this last point was just God can rescue his servants. There's a big difference, right, between will and can. So I guess if I'm ever confronted with a lion's den, I can have confidence that God will rescue me. And I think the answer to that, the reason why this is a story is here in Scripture for us, is because it points us towards a greater rescue. Not something that's a possibility, but that's something that's for sure. This last point that I want to share with you from this passage, the fourth point, is that ultimately God will rescue all of his servants and bring them into his kingdom. This might sound kind of like a, like a duh statement, But Daniel chapter 6 is here to prepare us for Daniel chapter 7. So the first six books of Daniel are all the narratives, the stories about Daniel. But then after chapter 6, the book kind of turns a corner. And from chapter 7 through 12, we have all of Daniel's prophecies, his visions of the future. And right off the bat, in chapter 7, the people of Israel are warned about one of their greatest earthly enemies that someday there's gonna be this man who it says in verse 25 will appear and wear down the saints, chapter seven, verse 25. He's gonna persecute them. He's going to oppress them. Zechariah tells us that this man, the man that we later in the New Testament call the Antichrist, he's going to appear on the scene as a very friendly protector of Israel, a man like Cyrus. But in the end, even though he's claimed to be their shepherd, Zacharias says he's gonna turn around and be the type of shepherd who actually tears up his sheep and eats them. He's actually going to be a great persecutor. And there's gonna be many people who during this time of persecution lose their life because of their faith in Christ. We know that from the book of Revelation. John sees the souls of those who have been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. They're killed, but then they're raised from the dead and they reign with Christ. So I think this is the point of Daniel, chapter 6. This is why God took one of his great prophets, put him into a lion's den, and then had him miraculously rescued. So that he could be a great object lesson then to the people of Israel and to all of God's people of the fact that God is able to rescue his servants. And when they go through the greatest of persecutions in the future, that will not be able to keep them out of his future kingdom. No matter what happens to Christ's followers in this life, if they remain faithful, they will ultimately be rescued and brought into that kingdom that Daniel was longing to see. Listen to the words of Jesus here from Luke chapter 21, verses 16 through 19. This is what Jesus told his disciples, and he's speaking to them as representatives of us all, of everyone who follows them. He says, You will be betrayed even by parents, brothers and sisters, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but not a hair of your head will perish. Stand firm and you will win life. Notice what he says. You're going to be persecuted, you'll be betrayed, some of you will be put to death, but in a very real sense, not a single head on your hair on your head will be harmed. He's speaking about two different things viewpoints, right? A very earthly viewpoint and a heavenly viewpoint. He's talking about all the persecutions and troubles that they'll go through in this life from the earthly kings, but the fact that because they're God's servants and they've been faithful, they will be able to enter into the heavenly kingdom when it comes from heaven and not a single hair on their head will be harmed, that they'll be brought whole into this kingdom. So even if we're never faced with the type of decision here between faithfulness to God and a lion's den and probably likely we never will right this story has a powerful message for us ultimately God will rescue all of us if we remain faithful to him just to close let's turn to 2nd Timothy chapter 4 because I want to show you how the story I believe of Daniel and the lion's den impacted the apostle Paul 2nd Timothy chapter 4 You know in this context here that this is the last book that Paul writes. He's in prison. He had one appearance before Caesar that went favorably. He calls Caesar here the lion. He appeared before the lion, and God rescued him. But now we know from the end of the story that this second appearance, or this next trial that's coming up, is not going to go so favorably. He's waiting here in prison, and this is going to be his last imprisonment before he's finally martyred. But this is what he says here. I'm going to start reading in verse 16. You can see how all the human people that Paul might have looked to for comfort and security had failed him. He says that my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, so that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished, and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. For three reasons there I think he's thinking of Daniel. You got the lion's mouth, that's the obvious one. Twice he uses the word rescue, which is the key word of the story we just read. And then he says heavenly kingdom. This is the only time Paul calls it the heavenly kingdom. This isn't a normal Paul way of referring to the kingdom but it's a very Daniel way. This is how Daniel likes to refer to the kingdom. So I think Paul's there in prison. All of the people that he might've looked to for security, all of the people that he might've looked to to boost his confidence have deserted him. But he has his God, and his God has already rescued him once from the lion, but he knows that no matter what happens at this next court appearance, that his God is able to rescue him in the ultimate sense and bring him safely into the heavenly kingdom. So just to review, we will face opposition in this world if we remain faithful to our Lord. That shouldn't surprise us, right? Jesus warned us ahead of time that that was coming. Sometimes it will come from authority figures or sometimes even from people we care about. It might even be people that we have close relationships with, just like Jesus referred to in Luke chapter 21. God can, he can, and sometimes he will deliver us from the attacks, just like he did it for Paul there at that first defense. We might have a day in court that goes favorable. The boss might relent and change his mind. The family member might repent. That neighbor, if you're bold and walk across the lawn and invite them to Christian Explored or have a conversation about the gospel, it might not go as badly as you think it would. But sometimes we also might suffer. Remember, Paul was delivered from the lion's mouth only to die a short time later at the mouth of that same lion. But his death was just a portal into the heavenly kingdom. Someone told me in a, in a sermon just recently that the worst thing that our enemies can do to us is threaten us with heaven, right? The worst that they can do to us is threaten to kill us. and But our death is just a portal into the heavenly kingdom. So who are you looking towards tonight to provide you with security? Who is your confidence in? I think there's too many Christians who base their confidence and contentment on whether their pol- political party won the recent election or whether their boss at work is favorable towards Christians or whether they have Christian neighbors who are somewhat sympathetic or maybe just, you know, p- people that are tolerant and willing to listen to their message. But even if we end up like our brothers and sisters in China or Syria or Saudi Arabia or North Korea and we're actually faced with death for being loyal to our Jesus, then the choice is still clear for us, right? Because hopefully we've already like Daniel, we've we've already had a habit in our life of being faithful, cultivating a relationship with him. Jesus says, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. The worst that any human can do is to kill us. But we need to remain loyal to the one who has the power to rescue us from this sin-cursed world, save us from hell, and bring us safely into the kingdom. There's a danger when we read Old Testament stories to always turn the characters into the heroes. And ultimately, God is always the main hero. He's the main character. The human characters underneath God sometimes disappoint us. Sometimes they do things that are wrong. They're not necessarily things that we're supposed to emulate. But I think Daniel's actually a good example. Daniel is actually someone that we can look at and say, yes, that would be a good example for us to follow. Someone who had his eyes fixed on the finish line, that heavenly kingdom, the kingdom that was going to come from heaven when Jesus returns and makes everything right. And he had already decided that it was that God who he feared, who he reverenced. He cared about that God's opinion. He wasn't going to base his security and contentment on what earthly relationships or authority figures were telling him. He was going to remain faithful to his God because that God was able to rescue him and bring him into his kingdom forever. So the question here for us tonight is, is who will we trust? Who will we place our confidence in? And then our contentment and our ultimate, whether we're disappointed or not, will be based on how we answer that question. Would you like me just to close in a word of prayer or let's pray together? Father, we're thankful for this few moments that we were able tonight to look at your word I'm thankful to sing together to hear scripture together I'm thankful to be with God's people Father more than anything I'm thankful that your son has lived perfectly and died in our place and he's coming again to make a kingdom that will last forever where the the curse will be rolled back and eventually sin and death will be no more Father I pray that we would be faithful people who look towards that kingdom and reverence the God and Lord of that kingdom and live lives accordingly. We ask for help in doing this in your son's name. Amen.